Lord, we just want to thank you that we can worship you today. Lord, we can stand here in your presence, blessing you and worshipping you today, Lord. God, we just want to thank you for that privilege. And as I speak now, Lord, and as you speak to each one of us, God, we pray that we will hear you clearly. And God, that you will bless us this morning, that we will know something of your heart for each one of us, Lord. Amen. Oh, it's lovely to see you all. Should we move it over a bit? Stand in the middle. I don't know about you, but my memory isn't very good. I'm the kind of person I have to have about 20 lists with things written down, because otherwise I know I will forget something. I have what I call junior-senior moments, um, just because I don't want to think I'm a senior yet. So therefore, junior-senior moments. But when I look back on my life, I must admit, I'm not very good at remembering many things from childhood. There's a couple of really distinct memories I've got. One of them is one of the few memories I've got of one of my grandmas when she took me and my brother on the top of a double-decker bus for the very first time to see the Warsaw illuminations. Oh, yes. It was a great day. I was really young. But that's one of, one of the few really distinct memories I've got of being quite a young child. One of the other ones I've got, which is kind of where, um, has kind of got me thinking on things for this morning, is a discussion that I had with my mum. I was really privileged to be brought up in a home where both my mum and dad are Christians, go to church, and just really instilled in me some great, great values, and really encouraged me so much that I know if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. But one of these discussions, I was, as a child, I was quite an argumentative child. I was a why child. There was no answer you could give me that I wouldn't then turn around and say, but why? Why? Um, and there was one particular time, and this discussion kept cropping up with me and my mom. And it was about the idea of, can you live in this world, on the earth, in a perfect way? Does it just mean we have to wait till we get to heaven before we really know what God wants of us, before we can really live in the way God wills us to live? And it turned into one of these really deep theological debates. I was quite young, so my theology wasn't that great. But, you know, it's something I really remember that me and my mom, over time, we kept coming back to this same discussion. What does it mean to live for God on the earth? Can we live with God in a way that's almost perfect because we're living God's will out? Or do we have to wait till we get to heaven? And I think it's one of those conversations that's really stuck with me over the years. It's something I'm still trying to figure out really exactly what I believe and and what God thinks thinks in all of that. But something I know is that most of my life, if not all of my life, I have longed to live out God's will in my life. And for that, I'm really, really grateful that my relationship with God has lasted so long and hopefully will last a whole lot longer. But I'm not a very patient person over things like this. I want to know what the answers are. I want to know what the future holds. And I'm sure, as many of us know, reality isn't always like that, is it? It's not always so black and white, so yes or no, so right or wrong, so this is what God wants you to do, that isn't what God wants you to do. There tends to often be a lot of grey. There are days, perhaps, when we wake up and it's so clear what God's calling is for us, so clear that we could almost see it written before us. But there are other days, perhaps, when it feels a bit greyer where perhaps we think, what am I doing? Is this what God wants of me? Am I doing what God wants of me? 
And I think something that I just want us to think on this morning is not just the idea of living in God's will, so quite an introspective internal thing, but actually living out God's will. And so I've kind of called this morning, as we can see on the slide, living God's will. So it's not just an internal thing, it's an external thing as people see that we're living God's will. So there's three Bible scriptures that I just want us to look at this morning, and I've got some thoughts, some little stories, illustrations to go along with each one of them, a little bit of a whirlwind tour, and I'm sure we won't have time to say everything that's going through in my mind, and I'm sure you'll be sitting there thinking, oh, I've read that before and wondered what I think, but hopefully this morning it can just get us thinking again about something perhaps that's so simple, what it means to live God's will. So the first verse, if you do want to turn with me, is Ephesians 2, verse 10, and this is what it says. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's handiwork. I love that little bit of that verse. We are God's handiwork. We're not just part of a group. We're not just a replica of someone else. We're an individual. We're someone that God has created. He's gone through a process of creation to make each one of us. We're all unique. We're something that can be admired and can be looked at. We are an example of something or rather someone who is even greater and it means if we are the handiwork of God, then I really think there's something in each, in each of us that represents who God is as well. A mark that God's left in each one of us in being his creation. And that's not just something he's saying over me. It's not something he's just saying over Leon even. It's something he's saying over every single one of us, whether we see it or not. But when we look at that verse, when we see kind of the context that that's in and what comes before that, it talks like, great, the stories we've heard this morning that Andy shared, but it talks about how salvation, how us saying yes to God makes that handiwork be what God really wants it to be. Because when we are saved, when we recognize who God is, when we open up that relationship with him, that's when we can live as this new creation. It's when we can truly live as God's handiwork, by grace, by his grace that we're saved, and by his grace, by God's grace, that we can live as he's created us to be and who he's created us to be. But when we look at the second part of that verse, it talks about this idea of doing good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we could pick up all of this kind of idea of, oh, where does choice come with all that? What does God say? How does God know what's coming in? That, I will say, is for another time. We're not going to delve into that today. But when I started thinking on that verse and perhaps some examples I could think of, someone came to mind, and it's someone that I've been doing a lot of reading about recently for the study I'm doing, and it's a lady called Mary Slessor. If you haven't heard of her, Mary Slessor lived in the late 1800s, and she was from Scotland. I think there's a few Scottish people, I can see one at least, with us this morning. She was from Scotland. And from an early age, she was really fascinated by missionaries and the work of missionaries across the world. And she particularly was interested in quite a famous missionary that, again, some of us may have heard of called David Livingstone. And he did some work out in Africa. But living in the 1800s and being a woman, she knew there was little chance of her 
doing the kind of work that she read some of these missionaries did. So what she decided to do instead was to put this great heart she had for missionary work almost onto her brothers. She had a slightly younger brother and a slightly older brother. And so she took to praying for them that they might be able to take up this missionary call instead of her. But while she was still quite young, both of her brothers died and her father So at the age of 11, she was the eldest child in that family and started, as a lot of families probably did at that time, went out to work, worked at the mill to bring extra money in for the home. But while she was doing that, her love of God, her love of God's work grew and grew and she started to serve in the local church, taught the children on a Sunday. And God really started to stir something in her, in her dreams that she never thought would happen because of who she was and the position she was in. And what happened was when she turned 27, that God really started to bring some of these dreams into being. She took the plunge and signed up, and miraculously, they said, yes, go and be a missionary. You can go out to Africa. And she ended up going to the place where David Livingstone was, which is a place back then was called Calabar, today we know as Nigeria, in West Africa. But to start with, because of being a woman, she wasn't allowed to go out on her own. She had to stay with some of the missionaries, work alongside some of the men, and just work with them, working with the locals there. And it was incredible, some of the experiences she went through. But she couldn't shake that dream that, as we've looked at that verse, that good work which God had prepared in advance for her to do, that she wanted to go out there. She wanted to go into inland Africa to meet the people that had never heard the message of God before. And through various different things, through ending up even coming back to this country through ill health and never thinking she'd be able to go back out again, she eventually did. And the doors were opened and she started a mission in the middle of nowhere in a tribe that had never heard of God before in the middle of Calabar. And she ended up living there for 15 years, working with those people, teaching them about God, showing them his ways, whether that was nursing the children, whether it was taking kids into a home that had been abandoned, or whether it was actually trying to bring some rules some justice to the people's lives that lived there. I think it's just an incredible testimony, someone like that, that was so determined to live in the way God had called her to, so determined that God had prepared works, good works for her to do in his name, that he had created her to be his handiwork in that place. And that led me to think something, which is something I want perhaps us to think on today. What is my calibre? My calibre, I don't think, dare I say, is going out to Nigeria, maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe one day that's where I'll be. But what is it? What is it for each and every one of us in this room that is our calibre, that place, that thing that God has called us to do? There are so many different things we could say are good works, so many different things that God has created us to be. And as I've said, we're all unique. We're all created in a unique way. But are we living out that in the situation that we're in? Are we determined to find out what our calibre is? Is that our families? Is it our workplace? Is it the street, the community that God has put us in? Maybe it's changed over time. Maybe when you were young, you thought it was one thing. Maybe now God's calling you in a different direction. But as with Mary Slessor, 
she had a lot of difficulties to cope with. Most of her family died. In fact, she was, out of her siblings and her parents, she was the last member of her family to die. She had to bury her parents, her siblings. She had to nurse them through ill health. And at many times questioned, I'm sure questioned, is God really going to do what he's put this dream in me to be? Is God really going to make this happen? Which takes me to our second verse that we're going to look at, which if you want to turn again, it's Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What a challenging verse. I love that part in Romans 8. And then it goes on to talk about um, how we can't be separated from the love of God. And we know, though, don't we? We know the reality we live in, that there's suffering, that there's pain, that things seem to happen for no reason. How can good come out of those? And I don't want anyone to think this morning I'm belittling the things we go through or saying we don't go through challenging times, through painful times, through things that we don't understand. And it's not a get-out clause either to say, oh, well, I don't understand, but God's doing something, God's doing some good. What I think this verse is pointing us to is the reality of God's faithfulness and love for us. If we carry on reading, as I said, we get to this section that talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God. And what does it list? It literally lists just about everything any of us could probably think of. Not trouble, not hardship, not persecution, not famine, nakedness, danger or sword nor death, nor life, angels, nor demons, present or future, any powers, height or death, nothing else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. And for me, what we need to see is that God will triumph. Perhaps our earthly perspective or what we see as meaning good or understanding as meaning good isn't perhaps what God sees And this passage is telling us whatever is going on, God is working for our good. Our joy should come not from the suffering or from the hard times, but from the knowledge of that, the knowledge of who God is. As we've talked and sung about this morning, the holiness of God and what that means. And I'm sure whatever any of us are going through at the moment, there are times we can remember where perhaps we've cried out to God and asked him to change something do something different than what we see before us, bring some good where all we see is suffering or trials. And I feel quite privileged in my life. I haven't gone through so far many times that perhaps have really tested me, times in that way. I've seen suffering in other people, but perhaps more at a distance. But there's one particular time that I just wanted to share with you today. In 1998, I did a mission with Youth for Christ And of all places, it took me to just down the road, Cheltenham. Um, Lovely little town. I've not not been there recently. Don't know if it's what it's like now. But it was a great, great experience. The summer before going to university to do something, I really wanted to kind of make my mark, spend some time really serving God before moving out of home and going to university. 
and I was thrown into a fantastic team of people from England and from America. A great connection and great friendships were formed from the start. And I wish I had time to tell you all the different things we experienced over those three weeks. Great times of putting our trust in God, protecting him with our life. If you'd have told me that that would all happen in Cheltenham, I'd have probably laughed at you before I went. But God really did some incredible things in all of us over those three weeks. But something else came out of that. A great friendship with the person who I'm now married to, Steve, who, shameless plug, if you want to come tonight, he'll be speaking then. Um, Or else you could just stay at home, watch Downton and listen to it on the podcast tomorrow, maybe. But, you know, not trying to persuade you either way. (laughs) But yeah, so Steve, me and Steve, Steve lived just down the road in Birmingham. We stroke up such a great friendship. It was fantastic to see the things God had planted in him and the things that he really wanted to do with his life. And some of you may have heard some of his testimony. But I think it's interesting sometimes, isn't it, the people that are on the other side of that testimony, the people that go through the pain of people's situations and experiencing almost the pain for them when they can't even see it themselves. We've been close friends for some years and I one day had this phone call from him. He'd moved up to Liverpool to go to university and he decided that he was making some choices and some decisions in his life that he didn't want to bring me down with him. He saw what God was doing in me. I was nearing the end of my time at university and was really asking God where he was calling me to after that time of study. And he didn't want what he was going through and the choices he was making to determine what that meant for my life. I was absolutely devastated at the end of that phone call. How could someone who I'd seen going for God so much, affected by God so much, experiencing God so much, make those choices and turn his back on God. There was a fearlessness in Steve before then, but now too much drinking, too much of taking of other substances had turned into an uncontrollable spiral. Other things had happened. Steve's best friend had been killed and run over by a driver talking on his mobile phone and all these little things that sometimes we see in people's lives had led him to this point and the choice he then made. But I decided I wasn't going to give up. I wasn't going to just let go and see what was going to happen. So I carried on praying for him. Most of it wasn't praying, it was more shouting at God, which I'm sure many of us have done, asking God why, why was this happening? And at times, Steve would come back and visit, and I'd see how he was going on, and I'd give him a good talking to, and then he'd go back on the train, back to wherever he'd come from. And things got particularly bad in Liverpool, so he moved down to London to escape kind of some of the things that were going on. I thought, great, new chance, new start, God, you'll do something now, won't you? But that didn't happen, not straight away. And I remember a few months before Steve came back to Birmingham from London, I met up with him. And there was something in me that I thought that was going to be the last time I would see him. He was a shadow of the person I knew back in 1998. He had the biggest bushy beard ever. One of those where you think there's probably things in it. It's that big. It was down here, so big. He was a yellowy grey colour. Just, it was horrible (laughs) when I think back. 
And when I saw him off on the train back to London, I thought, that's it, I'm not going to see him again. Two months later, Steve phoned me up and said, I'm moving back to Birmingham, I really want to see you. So we met up. I had no idea what was going on, what had happened in those few months. I'd heard nothing from him. And Steve then told me the journey he'd been on. He'd got back to London. He'd fallen really ill, been taken into hospital. The doctors said they couldn't do anything for him. His organs had shut down and gave him a few months to live. So Steve, in the time he had, went back to his flat in London and cried out on his hands and knees to God for three days. Not for God to heal him, but for God to forgive him, to have that relationship back with him. Steve knew if he only had a few months to live, he wanted that time to be with God. Whatever else was going on, he knew that was the one time in his life where things had gone well, where he knew things were right in his life. When Steve went back to the hospital three days later, the doctors found no evidence of what they'd seen in him. He was healed, he was well. His addiction to substances was gone. He was a new man, a new creation. God's handiwork again. What a miracle. That experience from what I saw, I know often isn't the case, isn't the answer to everything we see in people, is it? But that was a miracle. And when I think back to that and I see what God's doing in our lives, it makes me even more determined to ensure I'm living out God's will with the time he's given me on this earth and as much as I screamed at God cried out to God God what are you doing and all of that but at the same time praying that God was going to do a miracle I didn't know what God was doing I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes or what he wanted to do with Steve for me it's shown there is a purpose isn't there in life a purpose for each of us And yes, life is fragile, and we don't know what life is going to put in our way, what's going to come our way, what we're going to have to work through, what situations we're going to have to be tough through. But keep on going back to that verse, nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing. There's a friend that me and Steve have got as well, who at the moment, her 21-year-old brother, is going through his second serious bout of cancer in six months. She's someone who was a Christian, has been known to Steve and I for many years, but has gone away, doesn't want to know who God is. Whenever we've tried to speak to her about the truth of God in the past few years, just doesn't want to know. And yet she phoned us this week and told us about her brother going through cancer again for the second time in six months. And she actually started to talk about God for the first time in years in a positive way. Through this, and not understanding why, she's recognized God can do miracles and that God and his purpose will come out of this, whatever that means. We don't know what's going to happen to her brother. We don't know whether he's going to survive or not, but we're praying and believing that God will give us opportunities through this situation to be able to bring her back into a relationship with him again. Whether there's a miracle there or not, in a physical sense, we hope for a spiritual miracle and that God will work for the good of those who love him. On to the final verse that I want us to look at this morning. How can we live in this state of God's will when things may not go our way, like we've said, when the outcome may not be what we want? This verse is Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 2. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, what his good, pleasing and perfect will is. What a challenge. Do not conform to this world. God calls us to be renewed. Our minds are thinking to be something different, something new. If our thinking was with God's understanding rather than the world's understanding, would we question so much? Maybe we'd at least see a little bit more of what God's purpose is for us and for the people around us. I've often over the years, as I'm sure some of you may have had, had a discussion with people on how do you know if something's of God? How do you know if something's right? How do you discern that? How do you work that out? How do you know what the right choice, the right decision is? And for me, this idea that it says of testing it out, testing out what God's will is, is a great answer. Talk to people. Test out the things God has put on your heart, the dreams he's given you. Push doors and see what happens. We've sometimes decided the outcome or that something isn't going to happen before we've even tried or started. Someone in history that I have always admired and always looked up to is William Wilberforce, an incredible man of faith, but someone that decided there was something in the world that he didn't agree with, something he was not going to conform to and stand against, and that was the slave trade. The people at the time, it was part of life. Factory owners, landowners would have slaves working for them. And yet William Wilberforce stood up and tried to show them something different, that they didn't have to conform to the way the world said you had to be, that he would would stand out and stand for something different. And I'm sure he probably had setbacks along the way. If we look back through history, the different people that opposed him even then the people he had to fight against. And as we know, and as we saw with the play the other week, people are still trafficked today in this country, in countries around the world. But that didn't stop him. He didn't listen to people that talked about slavery, that saw that as the only way. He wanted to be transformed by his mind, by other people that were around him. And there's a great quote that was in the film Amazing Grace, if you've seen that, something from his life. And this is what it says. We are too young to realize that certain things are impossible, so we will do them anyway. How fantastic is that? Live out the things God has put on our hearts, not conform to the world or thinking about the impossibility or the probability of success, but living in a way that wants to see God's will on earth. How much more would people's ideas of who God is, what church means, what it means to have a relationship with him be transformed if they saw us on a daily basis living God's will? I don't know if any of you were here a few weeks ago when Gavin Calver was talking, but he talked on some similar things to do with this, on compassion, on justice, on taking courage. And that, for me, is what this verse says. To be against the culture, to be against the world's flow, to do what God wants, will probably need our courage. And this price tag series that Leon's going to start next week just sounds fantastic in getting us to think through what it means to perhaps not conform to what the world says over certain things, to understand what things are really worth. 
I love Christmas. I would be playing Christmas music for about the past three weeks if I could have them right up to Christmas Day and beyond into next year. I absolutely love it. But something always jars with me over that as well. How much do I live out Christmas in the way the world wants me to rather than in the way God wants me to? And I just think that series we've got starting next week is probably going to speak some more into that and encourage us to not conform, to stand up with courage for the things God wants us to. Maybe God has put a cause on your heart. Maybe there's an injustice. Maybe there's just people around you that have a strange way of thinking that you think God has really got to come in here and change something in these people. Maybe it's encouraging people to focus on different things. But for for us to do that, our minds need to be focused on what God wants, not what the world wants, not what other people think of us, not what other people see. Our ideas can become clouded when we're not focusing on, on God, but when we're focusing on what other people think. When we allow our minds to be transformed by God, we see things clearly with God's eyes, with God's focus. And when Paul wrote this verse in Romans, I'm sure he was thinking on the things of his life, the things he'd seen, the sufferings and the trials that he'd been through, but the great joy of seeing people come to faith in God and seeing people transformed into the handiwork like we've mentioned earlier. He knew, Paul knew what it was like to live with disappointment to live with an idea that he talks about, this thorn in the flesh that kept him grounded but kept his mind focused on God and what God's will was for his life. Paul also calls us to be patient, to endure and to outwork our faith, whether we're suffering or not. That is how we will see God's good, pleasing and perfect will. There's a lot I've tried to cram in this morning, a lot of great verses, and these things I've shared with you are things God's really stirring me on at the moment, are verses he's really trying to teach me some things on. And as we draw to a close, I think there's just a few things that I want to bring back to us to think through in a response time as we worship to finish this morning. Maybe it was that first verse, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do do you see God's handiwork in you do you see who he's created you to be and do you know what your calibre is what that place is that position is those people are that he wants you to live out your will with live out his will with Maybe it was the second verse, and we, know, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Whatever's going on in your life right now, do you need to have that understanding of God's goodness? Do you need to know that he's in control, that nothing can separate you from God's love? Or maybe it's that final verse to not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to be able to test and approve God's will, to see his good, pleasing and perfect will. Maybe you need that extra bout of courage this morning, that thing that will help you stand up for God, stand up for him in a new way, in a different way, 
perhaps something you've been holding back on that you're not quite sure on, but perhaps God's just put it on your heart again this morning to be courageous for him. The band are going to come up now and we're gonna, there's a song they're going to play. But I just want to pray over us, if that's okay. Pray some of these verses over us this morning. And then you will have time over this next song to just respond how you feel God's really touched you today. Whether that's in the quietness of just you being with God or whether you do want to come and just have someone pray with you at the front. But I'm going to pray. Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you for creating each one of us to be your handiwork, to be something of you in this world, Lord. God, we pray that you will help each one of us to see that, to understand that truth of who you've created us to be. And Lord, I pray that for each of us, you will show us what our calibre is, what that thing is, that place, those people, that community that you've called each of us to, to live out your will. And Lord, we thank you that you have called us to do good works for you. That Lord, whatever is going on in each of our lives, whatever other situations are that we're praying for or praying into now, Lord, that you are working for good. Lord, we may not know it, we may not see it, we may not understand, but Lord, let us know again today, you are in control. There is nothing that can between you and us, Lord. And finally, God, help us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed through our minds. Lord, that we will see what your good, pleasing and perfect will is. God, if there's things we're holding back on, if we need your courage for something, Lord, I pray you will give us that courage today, that we will leave this place transformed and renewed, knowing something more of you, but knowing that, God, you have put us here to live out your will. Amen.